Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. I'm reading from Luke 16, picking up in verse 19. Listen now to the Word of God. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. And the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. And he said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to, them, said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will, they, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The scripture that Jones just read a few minutes ago tells a parable of Jesus, and in it Jesus gives the example of a man who finds that he's in torment eternally and requests that his, some message be sent to his family, to his brothers, to assist him. And Jesus said, he, they, they can't get it. You can't get there from here. But send somebody, even send somebody from the dead. No, they have the prophets. They have Moses. They're not going to believe a zombie coming back to talk to them. So that reminded me, let's listen to what the prophets have to say. Sort of made me think about that old children's song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Y'all remember that one? I see some heads nodding. Yeah. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, you know. We're not going to do the whole thing, but 
it's a fun way to kind of think about that. We live in a day and a time when there um, is a lot of stuff going on. There are lots of layers that are out there. There is a political cacophony surrounding us. There is noise on all sides. There is social upheaval and civil rights challenges that we see on the news. There is the challenge of what does it mean for First Presbyterian Church or for any church to be intent and uh, following the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ in its particular place. And we have, I have, you have been touched in recent weeks by illnesses and deaths of any number of people. And all of this is in a mix. So what might a prophet have to say to us from the 32nd chapter of Jeremiah, let us listen that we may hear what God may share. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in the 10th year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem and the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. In other words, Jeremiah was imprisoned. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you to say, By my field that is in Anatoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hanamil came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord, and Hanamil said to me, Buy my field that is in Adatoth in the land of Benjamin, for by the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anatoth from my cousin Hanamil, and I weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, weighed the money on the scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and the conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Nerah, son of Mahashish, in the presence of my cousin Hanamil, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and the open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. The word of the Lord. The people of Israel were under siege. Literally, the Assyrian army was at the gates of Jerusalem, they were in battle, and they would in due course, 
take over that city. And they would in due course take captive those people. And they would in due course send those people to the rivers, to the banks of the rivers, Tigris and Euphrates and Babylon. They expropriated them. They moved them away in what became known as the Babylonian captivity. They were in captivity for almost 60 years. Yet, yet on the cusp of all of that happening, the prophet Jeremiah has this prophecy and it's buy a piece of property that's within your family. It comes to you by the right of redemption. It comes to you through the way the law is set up and it's yours to have. Buy this property. Hmm. What, what can we do with a piece of property when the world is falling down around us? When we listen to Scripture, very often we can identify with people within it. Who did you identify with in this, in this story? Was it Jeremiah's cousin Hanamel, the cousin coming in to say, hey, cuz, we've got a piece of property. You have to settle the estate. Take it over. Was it Baruch, who is given the, deed, the task of taking the deed and putting it in an earthenware jar and hiding it so it would last, the equivalent of taking it to the courthouse and filing it with the register? Was it King Zedekiah, the king of the Jews? He's the one who had imprisoned Jeremiah. Jeremiah had been saying, the world is collapsing. The, the, the enemies are at the gates. They're taking over. They will destroy the people because that is a judgment from God. The king didn't want to hear, didn't want people to hear that sort of critique. And so he imprisoned him, accused him of treason and insurrection. Would we want to be King Zedekiah? Or would we want to identify with the alien attacking army that's out there? Those folks from Babylon who are coming over us? Or would we want to be Jeremiah? Yeah, Jeremiah. We're the righteous ones. We're the ones who call for accountability. We want to be the ones that stand up for what's right. Who do you identify with in this story? For the past several weeks, even months, I have had a sense that there are all sorts of darkening clouds on the horizon. There is the political cacophony that's going on. There is the challenge of the news accounts of civil rights encounters and the news of people being shot, police officers being shot, civilians being shot. There is the challenge that we have in this church of following Jesus Christ and what does that mean? And there is the personal stuff that's happening within me, within you, with our friends, with our families. People die. People are sick. What do we do about all of that? There's a lot going on. What does Jeremiah have to say about that? Jeremiah says, buy that piece of property because Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. 
The prophecy is that one day all of this stuff will pass. We'll need to have a place where we can build our homes. We'll need to have a place where we can grow our food. We'll need to have a place where we can raise our crops and feed our people and live our lives. There's a lot going on, but we need to hold on to that hope that's out there. Buy this piece of property. In our political conversations, well, you know, it's really a stretch to say they're conversations. They're really more like the political rhetoric that's going on. You know what I mean? People accusing others of fuselades being lobbed one way or another. The major party candidates for president, the third party candidates for president, they're all saying, if you elect my opponent, then the world's just going to go to hell in a handbasket. If you elect me, then everything will be fine. You've heard it. You know it. You know how you feel about it, what you think about it, what you can, we wonder what we can do about it. Jesus said, look to the prophets for clarity. So Jeremiah, what do you have to say to us that we can then begin to frame a course of action moving forward? Do we simply hunker down and wait it out? Or is there some way we can live into that biblical hope? Some way we can find that the houses and fields shall again be bought and sold in this land. That's a vision for something good, for something of the future, for a way of life to live that we can share goodness and grace with each other and with the world. That's the vision. That's the hope. We live in a time of social unrest. It wasn't too long ago that pundits and talking heads talked about the post-racial society. Do you remember that? I think I do. At the time, I thought it was a bit overreaching, and I think events have shown that we are still a long way to go from that. For many years, race was conceived as a binary operation, black and white. But the reality is much more complex than that. And it always has been. In our past, within this country and around the world for all time, there have been people who've spoken of race as if there was a pure race. But there's never been anything that was pure except that humanity was created in the image of God. In the image of God, humankind was created. Male and female, we were created in the image of God. Check it out, Genesis 1. That's the pure race there is. There is no particular subgroup of that that is any purer than any other one. Yes, there are divisions. Yes, there are separations. Yes, there are groups that organize around one particular uh, trait to take advantage of others or 
who subjugate others for their advantage. Yes, there are. We have DNA testing these days, and you can even do that as part of your lineage. Ancestry.com advertises it as well as any number of others. Now, there are other reasons to do DNA testing for medical conditions and that sort of thing, but it also can show where your ancestors came from, not just your lineal ancestors, not the ones you know about, but those that came back even much further than you those that are part of your protoplasmic substance, your very essence that were there, you've taken some bit of them through all these years. Our makeup is more than simply mama and daddy and our grandparents and our great-grandparents and our great-great-grandparents. Our history, our life is part of God's creation that's been unfolding for thousands of years. We are part of a very complex organism, human organism, but also the organism of earth that God set in place. And we wake up and we turn on the news or we read the newspaper, fire up the computer, read the headlines, black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter. How do we make sense of this? John Grisham is one of the great legal thriller storytellers of the last generation. His first novel was A Time to Kill, and it told the story of a young black girl in Mississippi who was raped and beaten and left for dead. Her assailants were arrested, and while they were being arraigned in the courthouse, the young girl's father, a man by the name of Carl Lee, goes to the courthouse with a gun and he shoots them dead and along the way harms other people as well. Of course, it's a movie. It's fiction. The movie has, if you may recall, Matthew McConaughey and Sandra Bullock and uh, Samuel L. Jackson and, and Kevin Spacey, a great star lineup, you know, great, great stuff. But the story is bigger than any of those individuals. In the final defense scene before the jury, the lawyer says to the jury in defending Carl Lee, he says, I want you to close your eyes. And while they close their eyes, he then describes in a short version, but a fairly graphic detail, the crime that has been committed. He runs through it and he gets to the end and he says, now before you open your eyes, what would happen if that girl who had been raped and beaten and left for dead was white? Our nation, our region, our city, even here in the church, we are confronting the reality of history, of slavery, of segregation, of poor treatment across class through the generations. Just walk around uptown Columbus and look at the historic markers. Down the street, you will read about racial violence and lynching. Over at the Dillingham Bridge and up at the 14th Street Bridge, you can read markers that talk about the last land battle in the Civil War. 
a little further away, you will read about, you can read about the Creek Indians being gathered together to take into Fort Mitchell to go on what began, what became the Trail of Tears. We live right here in the midst of it. It's all around us and it always has been and it always will be. So how do we make sense out of that? How do we deal with that? God created us in God's image, male and female. There are other ways in which we are separate, we know, but we are created, every human being is created in God's image. As Christians who are Presbyterians, we know that we confess. We do it. We just did it. And we know that when one of us suffers, we all suffer. And when one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. We are bound together in ways that transcend whatever limitations we think are possible. And we know that human action does not measure up to God's dream. That's the reason Jesus came, to share a way for us to be restored to God and to be restored to each other. That's the purpose of that. So often the responses we have we to think of our theological or political on a spectrum. Are you right or left, progressive or conservative? I have become over the last several years a Facebook friend with a number of uh, people who are ministers in the Presbyterian Church in America. That is the de denomination um, that separated out from our our current Presbyterian denomination in the 1970s, they broke away because they thought that the other Presbyterian denomination was too liberal. And they had different things they argued about for that. And it was a pretty intense time. And you can still find the wounds of that in different places. But over the past five or eight years, the PCA has had a very robust and meaningful dialogue about race and the role of race in their, in their origin and what it means to, to now and how they organize themselves now. I found out this week that the pastor and, uh, or well, some of the staff and members of Presbyterian Church of Augusta, Georgia, which is a PCA church, participated back in the summer in a Black Lives Matters march in Augusta. It's really interesting because not only is the church part, was that church part of the PCA, First Presbyterian Church Augusta was the location for the formation of the Presbyterian Church in the Confederate States of America. And when you read the original document founding charter of the, of the Presbyterian Church in the Confederate States of America, you will see that slavery is written in it, in it all over in a defense of slavery as part of the rationale for organization. And yet, the ancestors of that church today reached out to participate in a civil rights march, 
They were uncomfortable about it. George Robertson, who is the pastor of the church, has written about it on his blog. He was uncomfortable about it, but he was glad they did. It's not the only answer, but it is a meaningful way of trying to find out and connect. When we follow Jesus, no matter where we are, we may find ourselves in places we may not have imagined going. Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in the land. We will need to have places to live. We will need to have the ways of feeding ourselves and taking care of ourselves and sharing, not simply for our own person, our own tribe, but for the world. We must find that way forward. That is the biblical hope. Jeremiah's words also speak to us as a community here at First Presbyterian Church. We hear them in our own context. There has been unrest among us. In 2015, we had a division. Yes, we did. Friendships were strained. Some, I have been told, were even shattered. Families divided over what was the best way forward for the church to be organized and to be connected. There was a breaking apart. Reasons varied, but it hurt. I, don't, I wasn't here then. I only know what I have been told, and I can tell you that what you have told me is it was painful. There was trauma. It was like the body endured a trauma all around. Everybody was affected one way or another. But what has happened since then within this community, within these walls and within our witness, is that people have stepped forward. It's like when something bad happens, adrenaline kicks in. And so the adrenaline that is part of the body of First Presbyterian Church kicked in, and we have responded, and we have done some really great things this past year. And I think as a congregation, we should give thanks to God for that, and we should give thanks to each other for stepping into those times and places. The challenge now is how do we build continue to build a sustainable and viable witness where we share the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ? How do we go forward in this time? How can we claim that promise that houses and fields and vineyards shall be bought and sold in this land? How can we help return to a time when life is good? In one of the churches I served as, a, as an interim pastor, there was a man who came to me. He had been a, uh, he'd been a news writer, newspaper, uh, a news media reporter. Actually, his last job before he retired was with CNN, and he wrote the crawl at the bottom of the headline news, you know, which I think was a great job. And he loved it, but he loved to write. And he said, Joel, I know we, we share prayers and we have certain written resources for worship and devotions. What if we got a writing group together to, to work on that? We've got a member who a, has a master's of fine arts and creative writing, and we could ask her if she'll help jumpstart us and, 
And we did. And it was wonderful. There was a little bit of tentativeness at the beginning, but, but gradually that, that came to be a wonderful way of reaching out, a wonderful ministry. So the answer, part of the answer is when you see things that, that are calling to you, jump in. And if they've not been done before, connect with them and share them. There are many things that we need to do in the world. Jeremiah's vision is not just a condemnation. It is a hope. It is a hope that we can fill and share and lift up. And we need that in our time of political cacophony and social upheaval and community unsettledness. In our political life, make sure that you vote. But do more than vote. Be involved. Help hold elected officials accountable we the people is the way our Constitution begins, and we are the people, and we are part of a larger people. Yes, there will be disagreements, but find ways to stay connected. In our social and racial life, I would invite you to think about finding a place where you are a minority, either by class or by race or by gender or by some other marker a safe place where you are a minor, in a minority, and not try to convince the other people one way or the other, but to listen, to simply listen and hear what others might say. In our congregational life, we must allow God's vision to take over our sight. Let us find ways to surrender our control so that the way we have always done things might be transformed into the, way, into the way that God needs us to do things now. Let us remember where we have come from, not to nurse old grudges. Lord knows, and that's a prayer, Lord knows that would not be good. But we need to remember what happened so we can build a way forward and allow for new graces. When that opportunity comes to invest in the future, when we are together as a people confronting our social realities, death, or anything else in life, let us remember this vision from Jeremiah. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.